This is In the Studio with Michael Card. I'm Wayne Shepard. Michael, this week, it's kind of a continuation of last time we were together. Yeah, we're going to keep looking at the most important passage, dare we say, in the Hebrew Bible, where God reveals himself to Moses. Exodus 34. Mm -hmm. All right, and uh, we'll get to that. This actually will come from a recording. Joe Carlson, our producer, followed you to Ohio for one of your Hesed conferences. He he hung out with us the whole weekend. I heard a lot about that weekend from friends who were there. Some of it good, I hope. (laughs) It was all good, Michael, all good. But uh, if you missed last week's episode of uh, Michael Card in the studio, go online for the first half of this teaching from Exodus 34. Yeah, for this part part two to make sense, you really have to hear part one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, at these conferences, do you always end with a, a, a concert, a mini concert of sorts? Yeah, almost always. I think we've got one coming up where we're going to start with the concert and then have the conference. But uh, it, it really provides a nice balance. Um, there's, you know, two days of teaching Friday night, all day Saturday, and then a concert either Saturday night or Sunday night. All right. Well, we're going to get a taste of that today here on the program, Mm -hmm. because in the first half, we're going to hear the second half of your teaching on Exodus 34. Mm -hmm. And then in the second half of this hour, we'll actually hear that music that you sang at the conclusion of the conference. So I'm looking forward to hearing all this again here in the studio with Michael Card. Hey, can we mention your blog, the journey blog, which is available at Mm michaelcard.com? Um, we're very enthused by the numbers we're seeing of people who are taking advantage of this. Yeah. You know, I think there's this transition that's happening, you know, in, in my life, but also just in the culture that, uh, you know, online things. And I mean, I know online things have been here for a long time, but, um, I don't know, using it as a ministry tool, Mm -hmm. we're just sort of, um, getting, getting the hang of that. Um, Joe's a big part of that, but Lauren, uh, who works for uh, mm-hmm. who who works in the Kansas City? She's way ahead of anybody in figuring that out as well too. Yeah. So uh, yeah, so the blog is there. So if you haven't gone to the website michaelcard.com, do that. Um, you can read the blog there. You can check out when the next conference is coming up, mm-hmm. uh, your your travel schedule and what you're doing. Uh, can I ask you? You're all, you've always got something in the works. What are you thinking on and working on right now? I'm I've become really pre- preoccupied. I think Hesed got me into this uh, the 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 real story on the Jewishness of Jesus in terms of his culture and the way he thinks. The difference in thinking in Greek and thinking in Hebrew. Jesus thinks in Hebrew or Aramaic, which is like Hebrew. Yeah. When you walked um, in the door this morning, you were all pumped up because this is what you were thinking. Yeah. About. Yeah. But reading two two books that were actually written by you know Jewish writers. Uh, there's a new guy uh, that I've just discovered, Nehemiah Gordon, who has just written some fascinating things uh, on the life of Jesus. And um, he is a Karaite Jew, a, a Jew, Jewish person who only sticks to the, the Hebrew Bible, yeah, not interested in the rabbis, yeah. not interested in the Talmud or any of that stuff. And he is a fascinating person. We can look forward to talking about that in the future here in the program. Well, let's go to the Hesed Conference, and uh, you you open this with a song which you explain. So let's take you to that recording of Michael Card. In 1995, uh, we we started a racial reconciliation move movement in Franklin, where I live, Franklin, Tennessee, very segregated, and the church hour is the most segregated hour. Um, benevolent racism, I call it. Nobody's really angry or throwing anything at anybody. We're all friends, but the blacks have their churches, and the whites have their churches, and the blacks have their grocery store, and the white have their grocery stores, and everybody's kind of fine with that, but I still think that's messed up. So um, we started doing various strategies, swapping pulpits and swapping choirs and doing things like that between churches. But one of the first things uh, I did was just start visiting some churches. And um, I I visited First Missionary Baptist Church, which is a historic black church in Franklin, Tennessee, one of the oldest churches in our our town. The pastor was the leader of our fellowship, Denny Denson. Um, And so I thought that would be a good place to start. So I went one Sunday morning. And about 200 people in the church, and I am the only white person there. I learned what it feels like to be a minority. I go, oh, so this is what that feels like. You know, there's no one else in this room that's like, that's my color, you know. And uh, I tell, you've heard, a lot of you've heard the story, so I'll, but I'll just keep telling it the same way. Um, a little old lady comes up to me, and she very kindly says, why are you here? And she wasn't being rude. She, it was a good question. And I said, well, I'm Denny's friend. She goes, oh, okay, well, welcome. You know, that was good enough for her. And uh, so the, 
the, the church is full and uh, the service is starting and there's only one empty seat. I know right where the seat is, two rows from the back on the right side. And so I sit down next to this very large woman. And uh, I didn't know this at that point, but I, I knew her husband. Her name's Dinah Smith. Her husband is Bob. And I had been praying for Bob. He was part of our group. So rem- remarkable man, Bob Smith. Okay. So they, they have the, the reading of the thank you cards. They do a lot of things in the black church that we didn't do in our church. Um, we didn't read, in my th- church, we never read thank you cards. But if you send a thank you card, they would read it. And then, then we had the deacon devotion. I never heard that either. But uh, the deacons can be called upon at any time to give a devotion. And the pastor said it keeps them in the word. <laughs> I think that's pretty smart. Pretty smart. So we had the deacon devotion, and I, I remember the deacon devotion. Uh, uh, go home another way. It was uh, it was uh, Mr. Stone, who I who I also uh, knew from uh, the lumberyard. He worked in the lumberyard. Don't go. Uh, you know that when the, the 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 wise men go 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 back another way, or don't go back the way you came. Don't go. That was it. Don't go back the way you came. And he he turned that into okay. If you're coming to church, don't go home the way you came. Like be changed. And I thought that's pretty cool. That'd make a good song. Um, so there were a couple of other things. Then we sang Jesus is on the main line. I never heard that song. Uh, we sang that. We sang that every Sunday. Um, and then the sermon started. And when the sermon started, she reached over and grabbed my hand and I completely freaked out. And then I thought, well, this is what black people do in their churches. So I look around and nobody else is holding hands. It's just me and Dinah sitting in the back holding hands. And then he would make a point, and she'd give my hand a little squeeze. And after a while, I sort of liked it. I come to find out that Dinah and Bob had raised uh, 75 foster children, black and white. Uh, Bob said, uh, when I came home from work, I never knew if there's going to be another person at the table. Because she just sort of rounded people up. People that were, that were needy or hungry, they just ended up at their house. And... Um, you ask her why, and Dinah would say, well, if I don't love them, who's going to? She's just a remarkable woman. The other saying, the other Dinah Smith quote I love is, she would say, she said, honey, if the devil can't make you do wrong, he'll make you do right wrong. That's like Pascal or Kierkegaard. I mean, that is brilliant. See, if he can't make you do wrong, if he can't make you not go to church, He'll make you do right wrong. He'll make you go to church and you're kind of a pain in everyone's, you know, side. Or if he can't make you not read your Bible, he'll make you read your Bible and you're so judgmental and kind of condemning of everyone, you know, but he's got you both ways, see? He can't make you do wrong and make you do right wrong. So, Dinah Smith. Anyway, um, this story's growing longer, isn't it? Um, The song is not as long as the story is. Um, But anyway... um, Later on, years later, when I started studying Hesed, I realized uh, that I became an object of her, of her Hesed, of her kindness. My definition of Hesed is when the person from whom I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything. And that's what happened. I had no right to expect anything from Dinah Smith. What kind of associations should she have had, you know, for this guy coming into her space, right? Certainly not holding my hand. And really adopting me and making me part of her world. But I can tell you that that small, that moment, that Sunday morning, 1995, it changed my life. And it's only now, all these years later, that I begin to even have a word for it. But that's what what the word is, Hesed. So here's the song, and it's real short. (laughs) She was haloed round in kindness. I was nervous and alone. The stranger come into her world, the church that was her home. She'd been taught to love the stranger as only the suffering can. That Sunday morning set me free when Dinah held my hand. The service was about to start, it was my destiny. The only place beside her it was waiting there for me. Without a word she reached across and gently took my hand And the path I've traveled ever since that morning it began She reached across three hundred years 
of suffering and pain. She reached across the great divide of the color of our skins. When she reached across that empty pew, I finally understood that all the hate that meant to harm, the Lord would use for good. And she was strong and she was kind, but gentle when she spoke her mind. Cause Jesus is on the main line, and you can tell him what you want. By the force of her own gravity, her outrageous generosity, that morning I began to see that she'd adopted me. She reached across 300 years of suffering and pain. She reached across the great divide of the color of our skins. When she reached across that empty pew, I finally understood that all the hate that meant to harm, the Lord would use for good. Now life is made of moments we don't hardly understand. Sometimes the meaning isn't clear, like there's no specific plan. But each moment has been set in place before the world began. Like the time that Sunday morning when Dinah held my hand. Like the time that Sunday morning when Dinah held my hand. So here, here we go. Verse 6. God says his name twice. The Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in hesed va'emet, grace or faithful love and truth, maintaining hesed. There it is again. Hesed is twice in one sentence. Maintaining hesed to, in, in the Hebrew says to thousands. And we translate that to a thousand generation, but the word generation isn't in there. He, he shows his hesed to thousands. Uh, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. The whole range of what you can do wrong. Three different words for sin. But, and there's the turn, but he will not leave the guilty unpunished. Bringing, this is very important, the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. Moses immediately knelt low on the ground and worshiped. This is the first time he's really worshiped God like this. Then he said, my Lord, if indeed I found favor with you, my Lord, please go with us, even though we're a stiff necked people. Let's look in detail at this passage, because if we're going to understand Hesed, this is the most important uh, passage of all. So let's look at those, uh, these attributes of God. If you want to hear it in Hebrew, it's the Shalos Ezrei Medot HaRakamim, the 13 attributes of mercy. The first one, compassion. The first word out of God's mouth in telling us his character is that he's compassionate. And what's the big surprise of the New Testament? That Jesus is a slave. What's the big surprise of the Hebrew Bible? That God is kind. That God's compassionate. You know, uh, uh, Solomon and David and, and in the Psalms, he's worshiped this way. They will worship, but they will say, there is no God like you, a God of compassion. It's not like Baal or Molech or all these other false demonic gods that are worshiped. There's no God, there's no God like the God of Israel. Why? Because he's a compassionate God. That's a new idea. You know, we talked about Abraham yesterday. God says, sacrifice your son. And Abraham thinks, Okay, this is what you do. You, this is what you do for gods. You, you sacrifice your children to them. So he packs up Isaac and off they go. And at the moment he's just about to sacrifice Isaac, God stops him and God provides a sacrifice. Why? Because he's a compassionate God. He doesn't want Isaac you know, to be killed. That's not, how, that, that's not the sort of God he is. And Abraham begins to realize you're, there's, there's not another God like you. There, of course, there is no other God but the God of... Uh, Israel. So compassion. Uh, and this word uh, is, um, it, it comes in two form. It's, it's racham in Hebrew. And it's also rachamim. It's also plural sometimes. In Hebrew, you pluralize things to say a lot of. And when we translate rachamim, it's usually tender mercies. It sounds kind of funny. 
but it's mercies. Even God, the name El is the basic word for God. Elohim, it's plural, but we don't translate it God's. It's just, it implies that God is, there's a lot of him, that he's this, uh, I don't know, pluralizing is, doesn't just mean uh, more than two in Hebrew. So, but the, but the word is based on the Hebrew word rechem, which is the word for womb. Uh, and the, the implication of the word is that it's the, God is, has the same feeling for us as a mother has for a baby that she's carrying in her womb. That's rachamim. That's racham. Compassion. Tender mercy. Uh, okay? And men in, the, in, in, uh, in Hebrew can feel, can feel uh, compassion too, not just women, by the way, even though we don't have wombs. Okay? So first, compassion. Second, that he says he is, he is gracious, and that's the Hebrew word chen. And these are all words that hesed uh, pulls to itself. And this is, uh, or favor, grace or favor. Moses found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Three is important. The next one, he is slow of anger or slow to, to become angry. Now, does that say he doesn't get angry? Absolutely not. But it, it, it takes a lot to make him angry. He's not like the other gods who throw lightning bolts at you from the sky. And he has already demonstrated in the wilderness that he's slow of anger, has he not? I mean, by all rights, they should be little charcoal briquettes out in the wilderness. He should have zapped them a long time ago. He's, they've given him every reason to zap them. But he's a God of, uh, who's slow to become angry. And, and just be, you know, anger doesn't imply sin. Paul, even Paul says, in your anger, don't sin. Ang be angry and sin not. And there are a lot of reasons, there are a lot of good reasons to be angry. But God is slow of anger because anyone who is compassionate and gracious is slow to anger. They all fit together, right? A compassionate person doesn't anger easily. So God is slow of anger or slow to anger. And then uh, the number four is he is full of hesed va'emet. Hesed, our word, and truth. And that combination happens 51 times in the Hebrew Bible. And we're going to see in John 1.14 that that's what John says. You know, the word became flesh and he was full of grace and truth. Now, John says that in Greek. John writes in Greek, but he thinks in Hebrew. Trust me, he thinks in Hebrew. Okay. So he's slow to anger and he's full of this word that's translated so many different ways. Grace and uh, truth. Uh, number five, and he, he forgives sin. And not just sin, there's three words there for sin. Uh, he forgives guilt, avon is the first word. He forgives guilt. Pesha is the word for rebellion. He forgives rebellion. And hata, which is the basic word for sin, which happens 580 times in the Hebrew Bible. Uh, so he forgives the full range of sin, guilt, rebellion, uh, and sin. And I just discovered this yesterday. I was looking at Psalm 51, and David asked for forgiveness, and he uses these three words. It, you know, my question was, is David quoting uh, 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 Exodus 34? No, David thinks in Exodus 34, right? I don't think he's quoting it. I think he thinks in the Bible. Does Jesus quote the Bible? Well, sometimes he quotes the Bible, but usually Jesus thinks in the Bible, Right. And so he just speaks in, in phrases, phrases and words from the Bible. And yeah. And, and so we'll see that when we look at, at Psalm 51, which I thought was pretty cool. You have got to be a real geek to care about things like that. But most of your you wouldn't be here if you weren't a real geek. So welcome to the club. And number seven is where the turn takes ha, takes place. But but he will not leave the guilty unpunished. And that is part of his hesed. Making people suffer for the consequences of their sin is part of God's loving kindness. What if he didn't do that? What if, what if there was no consequences for sin? Well, then it would just, yeah, it would just be rampant. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I, I love my children by spanking them. Now, they, never, you know, they don't understand that. And you don't understand it when God spanks you sometimes. But it's, it's, it's all consistent. Uh, he will not leave the guilty unpunished. And here, here comes that, that passage. Uh, 
visiting the consequences, bringing the consequences of the father's sin to the, cho- to the uh, second and third generation. Now, your Bible probably says something different. Uh, the first time it was translated that way was HCSB, uh, Holman Christian Standard Bible, translated it, the consequences of the father's sin. And uh, I can tell you, not because I know enough Hebrew to explain it, but I've, people I know and trust, Hebrews have told me, no, that's an appropriate translation. And, and here's one reason why. To say God punishes the, child, the, the second and third generation for the sins of their fathers is not consistent with the rest of Scripture. Uh, Deuteronomy 24, 16 says, Each person will be put to death for their own sin. Ezekiel 18, 1 through 4 and 20 says, The person who sins is the person who will die. A son won't suffer punishment for the sins of his fathers. That's Ezekiel 18, uh, one and one through four and twenty. So much better translation is he, he visits the consequences of the father's sin. And what is about to happen? What's about to happen is they're they're going to uh, go to the border of the promised land, and the fathers are going to say, "We don't want to go. We'd rather go back to Egypt. We'd rather be slaves in Egypt. Let's kill Moses and get someone else." Right. And so what happens? They go back into the, into the wilderness. And who suffers the consequences of their father's sins for 40 years? The second and the third generation. It's, this is about to happen. Does that make sense? I mean, to me, that makes perfect sense. So he's about to visit their consequences. And so likewise, after that 40 years, they're a changed people. I'm not saying they still don't, have, still don't sin, but they, uh, God's hesed causes, uh, uh, because sin has to be dealt with. A wrongdoing has to be cleansed. Uh, okay. And obviously, eventually, this all leads to Jesus. So uh, here's my conclusion. In Numbers 14, 11 through 19, we read of Moses uh, reminding God of this. Let me read it to you real quick. You know the word chutzpah? <laughs> this is a good, good uh, it's, that's Yiddish. It's not Hebrew, it's Yiddish. Uh, Yiddish is this strange conglomeration of, of German and Hebrew. Okay? Uh, Moses has lots of chutzpah. chutzpah. Um, and this is when uh, God is, wants to judge Israel because they won't, they won't uh, go in. Let me just pick and choose verses here. This is 1411. The Lord says to Moses, how long will these people despise me? Promised land, milk and honey. I'm going to go in with you. Come on. And they don't want to go. And God goes, you know, how long is how long will they not trust me in spite of all the signs I have performed among them? And what we have at the border of the promised land is stubborn disobedience. I know what you want and I'm not going to do it. Verse 20 or verse 17. So now this is Moses. May my Lord's power be magnified just as you've spoken. Now he's going to remind God of what he said on the mountain. Just as you have spoken, the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in hesed, um, forgiving iniquity and rebellion, but he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequence. Now that we translated it right here, but we didn't translate it right the other place. Bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children to the third and fourth generation. Please pardon the iniquity of these people in keeping with the greatness of your hesed. So there's Moses reminding God of what he just said, well, not what he said months before in Exodus 34. Uh, six and seven. At the heart of this relentless and extravagant act of God himself, central to the indescribable mystery of the opening of the door of his life is the Hebrew word chesed. When God definitively reveals himself to Moses, the word is twice upon his lips. When he reaches out to David, it is the word on which their relationship and David's throne rests. The psalmists sing about it. The prophets lament its fragileness. And God himself hopes that our response to his hesed will be an infinitely smaller, yet still indescribable expression of our own hesed. Jesus will expand on it in his parables and incarnate it in his own life. This small three-letter word seems to always be there when the door uh, is open from one life to another, when the unexpected and undeserved gift of one's life is offered with no strings attached, when inexpressible acts of adoption, forgiveness, and courage occur that leave us speechless. That's somebody opening the door of their life to someone else through kindness. And that's, that's Hesed. And the big point is, is God does that for us. 
know when I rise You know what I think You know where I'm going Nothing, oh Lord, can hide from your eyes You close me in behind and before me You shield me with your mighty hand Such knowledge is too wonderful for me Too much for me to understand Where can I go? To flee from your spirit and from your presence Where can I hide? Behold up in heaven, you're there beside me In the depths of the darkness, you're by my side And if I rise on the wings of the morning Or settle on the far side of the sea Even there your hand will guide me For your right hand is holding me And if I say the darkness will hide me the night will shine as bright as day So search me Lord and lovingly lead me in your everlasting way Card performing Search Me, recorded live at the Biblical Imagination Conference in Stowe, Ohio. We're coming up to the halfway point in the program. If you've been challenged by what you've heard so far, please share your comment or post a podcast review when you search for Michael Card on Facebook or Twitter. Or use the Contact Us section of our website at michaelcard.com and share your questions, reactions, or song requests. And if you'd like to study further on Hesed, we're glad that Michael has prepared many good ways to go deeper into God's Word. Earlier we talked about Michael's blog. Check out these posts as well as his book titled Inexpressible. All the details are found at michaelcard.com. Coming up, more concert highlights here in the studio with Michael Card. Our next in the studio with Michael Card is a classic that will have your toes tapping all through the Thanksgiving holiday. Our guest is Buddy Green. The topic is the story of Jonah. Accompanying Buddy is our friend, accordion, and piano player, Jeff Taylor. You want to join us for this musical adventure as Michael also goes deep into the meaning of this well-known Old Testament story. The Bibles are open. The instruments are tuned. Don't miss our next session. Details at michaelcard.com. So far in the studio today, we've heard Michael teach from Exodus chapter 34, recorded on location in Stowe, Ohio, thanks to Pastor Dan Page. Yeah, our good friend. He's been a good uh, friend for a long, long time. Yeah, he sure has. Thanks, Dan. Thank you, Dan Page. And coming up now from the same conference at the end, you uh, provided some music. So mm -hmm. uh, can we listen to some of that? Yeah, I think we're going to start with one of my new new old favorite songs. <laughs> uh, this is My Father's World from uh, Maltby Babcock. All right. So Michael Card's all tuned up on the guitar and let's go. Let's listen. This is My Father's World was written by Maltby Davenport Babcock. He's a person that I've become um, just sort of mystified by. Uh, he, he, um, he was the Billy Graham of his day. He was the highest paid pastor in the U.S. When he left Baltimore to go to another church, the entire city of Baltimore protested. There's a church that's named after him, I think in Boston, Babcock Memorial Baptist Church. I mean, they named churches after the guy. He was remarkable, but he wasn't a songwriter. Uh, he was a pastor and a Bible interpreter and just this remarkable person. He was, uh, when you read about him, if you Google, um, if you Google him, you'll, you'll see these tributes to him. He was just a remarkable, remarkable man. In 1901, he toured Israel on horseback. And every day he wrote a letter back to the deacons in his church to tell them what he saw. And this is a free download. If you go to Princeton University Library's website and Google um, or, or search for Babcock, Maltby Babcock, it's called Letters from Egypt and Palestine by Maltby Babcock. And they are absolutely fascinating. I mean, there are very few Jewish people that hadn't come back yet. So there's Arab guides that are taking them around on horseback and showing them Israel. 
On the way back from that trip, he was a victim of suicide. He had gotten sick. His, he, uh, his wife had lost a child. They'd lost two children, actually. And uh, he got some sort of a fever, and he, he committed suicide. And when I read, first read that on the computer screen, I just started weeping. It just how does something like this happen? And there's no, there's no why. There's no explaining how a man like that, how that could have happened. It's just, anyway. Um, so I have, um, if you can get someone else to do your homework for you, it's a really good, good uh, thing to do. Well, I, I got um, uh, a man named Kevin Belmonte, who is a, a professional biographer. He lives in Maine. I got him interested in Maltby Babcock, and he's writing a biography of him now. And every day he sends me, you know, things he's found and pictures. It's awesome. Someone else is doing all my homework for me now. So it's, it's great. So look for that. Uh, I think the title of it, I think he's going to call it When the Shadows Fall. Sounds like it's going to be really good. He wrote, a, he wrote a biography of Billy Sunday and two or three other biographies. Kevin Belmonte is his name. He's a sweet guy, kind of a geek. But, you know, that's anybody that does that kind of work has got to be a geek. I think he would appreciate me calling him that. <laughs> But anyway, all that is to say, <clears throat> the, the music is connected back to Randy and um, um. This is my father's world And to my listening ears All nature sings And round me rings The music of the spheres This is my father's world I rest me in the thought of rocks and trees, of skies and seas, his hand the wonders wrought. This is my father's world, the birds their carols raise, the morning light, the lily white, declare their maker's praise. This is my Father's world He shines in all that's fair In the rustling grass I can hear Him pass He speaks to me everywhere Is my father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my father's world. Why should my heart be sad? He is just and kind, he is love defined, his grace all the hope that I have, his grace all the hope that I have.
I heard crying coming through my door Was it Rachel weeping for her sons who were no more? Could it have been the babies crying for themselves Never understanding that they died for someone else A voice is heard of weeping and of wailing of it on every page of innocent and helpless little babies offerings to the spirit of the age no of understanding this sad and painful sign whenever Satan rears his head there comes a tragic time if he could crush the cradle then that would stop the cross he knew that once the light was born his every hope was lost a voice is heard of weeping and of wailing of it on every page of innocent and helpless little babies offerings to the spirit of the age Now every age has heard it This voice that speaks from hell Sacrifice your children And for you it will be well The subtle serpent's lying His dark and ruthless rage Behold it is revealed to be The spirit of the age A voice is heard of weeping and of wailing of it on every page of innocent and helpless little babies offerings to the spirit of the age soon all the ones who seem to die for nothing will stand beside the ancient of days A couple more, I'll leave you alone. I never play this song anymore because it's too high for me. But this keyboard trans, transposes. I push a button and uh, I can sing it. <laughs> it's, it. This is where it usually is. There is a joy. Yeah, I can't do it. Uh-uh. No. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Shall find it 
pardon for all who believe hope for the hopeless and sight for the blind the cross I was the reason that he died utterly unfaithful then I added anger to my sin in a world already dark to me I closed my eyes and would not see so I may kick and I may scream say many things I do not mean Hold blindly to what is not true, but I will not walk away from you. Just why I choose to disobey, I simply cannot tell. Why I blame you when I rebel, and weep for wounds I give myself. Then screaming at an empty sky, I search for you and wonder why though I caused you so much agony you refuse to walk away from me don't read me pointless poems friend don't diagnose don't condescend though it may seem right to disagree I need someone to weep with me I made the man of sorrows sorry By all my foolish lies I drove the nails, I raised the cross I was the reason that he died So I may kick and I may scream Say many things I do not mean Hold blindly to what is not true but I will not walk away from you. Uh, this is a 
this is a special one for me. Uh, this song came from our, uh, our wedding when Susan and I got married 40 years ago, 38 years ago. Um, the sermon was, it was a Christmas wedding. We saved money. The church was already decorated. Our whole wedding cost $600. Our reception was a potluck. Young people, yeah, young people, think about it. Um, um, my, my mentor, the man, who, uh, the man who actually talked her into marrying me, she didn't want to. He talked her into it. Um, I'm not kidding. Uh, he, he performed the service, and he preached this sermon uh, in the context of Christmas, in the context of uh, being married, getting married. Bill said, if, if God is with you in your marriage, who could possibly be against you? Emmanuel. If God is with us, who could be against us? And uh, I don't remember much from that day, but I do remember that sermon. Um, and this, this is where this song came from. A sign shall be given, a virgin will conceive, a human baby bearing undiminished deity. The glory of the nations, a light for all to see, and hope for all who will embrace his warm reality this is your part Emmanuel our God is with us and if God is with us who could stand against us special opportunity today in the studio to sit in on the Hesed Conference. Thank you, Mike. Isn't it fun hearing the crowd sing? Yeah, yeah, that really was nice. Is. Speaking of the crowd, are there always a lot of questions? You know, we heard your Bible teaching earlier from Exodus 34. Does that prompt questions? Yeah, and we, we try to keep the conference as small. Uh, we, the seating arrangement is usually around tables, 
And part of our method is is to let people interact with questions together. Um, and uh, we have what we call sticky note processing. They put their, <laughs> their answers on sticky notes, and we put those up on the wall so everybody can look at the wall and see what everyone else is thinking. Okay. So, yeah, interaction is a, is a very important part of it because we're coming together as a community mm-hmm. around the word. It's not just about listening to me, you know. Yeah flat my gums it's about uh, it's about everyone coming together and reasoning together and it's not an intimidating thing is it we no. we learn together absolutely and 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 the, one of the encouraging things for me is inevitably people from the crowd come up with ideas i've never thought of hmm. of course then the next conference i teach them like i thought <laughs> yeah. of them. but um i'll never forget one one of the most memorable moments in one of these conferences uh, I'd been talking about Caesarea Philippi and what a f- pagan place it was and naming all the pagan temples. And I didn't understand how Jesus brought the disciples up there and for Peter's confession, all that kind of stuff. And there was a young man, Adam. He and I have actually become friends. And Adam stops me and says, uh, you're telling me Jesus went to a pagan town? I said, that's what I'm telling you. And it was full of temples? I said, yep. And he said, and the only temple he tore up was his own? Hmm. Insightful. That was wow. brilliant. I thought wow. it was brilliant. He doesn't go up and tear up the temple of Augustus or Pan or whatever in Caesarea Phil. He tears up his temple <laughs> and, twice. Uh-huh. And I, I did. I thought that was brilliant. Of course, I've taught that I ever since. Say, we often say that'll <laughs> preach. In your case, that'll teach. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, Mike, any last word before we part today? Well, we're talking about having coffee and donuts together. Um, you may be listening to this podcast right now with your coffee in the morning. And uh, my encouragement is turn turn it off, turn the podcast <laughs> yeah, off. Don't listen to us. <laughs> don't listen to us now, and and open your open your Bible and don't read a verse or two. Read a big block. Read a chapter, and uh, and yeah, spend that time uh, engaging and really listening, and you will be amazed at what you'll hear. And when you take up this challenge from Michael to read the Bible, let us know about what you find. We're always glad when people let us know their questions or insights on the scriptures. Send us your note through the Contact Us section at michaelcard.com. And we hope you'll tell a friend about what you've heard. Take a moment and write a review or share the link to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. You'll also find us on Facebook and Twitter when you search for Michael Card. On our website, you'll find the link to today's guests and other past editions in the program archive, all the details at michaelcard.com. Now for all of us on the team, I'm Wayne Shepard. Thanks for listening to this session in the studio with Michael Card.